you know, that how powerful our mind is. Our body can tell us one thing, but our, but our mind can, can overcome. And I think that that happens Saturday. Longhorn Nation, we're back! Welcome back to another episode of Fire the Cannon. I'm Rocky. I'm Megan. And I'm Hannah. And uh, we are Fire the Cannon, part of the 1012 Podcast Network. All right, welcome back, Hannah. We missed you last week. We had a wonderful <laughs> too. Amanda Atwell covered for wow. you. I think she did a fantastic job. Everybody loved her. Um, but we're back. Megan's back from Fort Worth where she witnessed live what we all saw on TV, Texas survived, Texas survived in Fort Worth, which is all they needed to do. They brought home a huge win, which they haven't done in Fort Worth in eight years. So we're excited about that. We have a lot to talk about, things we like, things that we definitely hope don't happen in the Cotton Bowl this weekend, but a win's a win, right? We'll take it. Let's celebrate. All right. So we'll talk about that. The TCU Texas game. We'll talk about how college football is completely upside down right now. Of course, our rapid fire questions. And yeah, Urban Meyer, we're coming for you. Megan, tell us about the atmosphere. You were at the game in Fort Worth. All right. Look, I I know I'm going to get roasted for this again, but I'm standing by my guns. Listen, I said earlier last week, TCU has never been a crazy dominating you know, venue to go into and mm-hmm. still feel the same. Nothing changed, still feel exactly the same. Yeah, they got loud at some points, you know, when they're doing well, the student section can get pretty, pretty froggy, if you will. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, for the most part, it's not the craziest atmosphere we'll ever be in. But for whatever reason, the Horn Frogs haven't needed that crazy atmosphere to still hand it to Texas and Fort Worth. And so, at, you know, I left happy. Man, anytime we come out of Fort Worth with a win, I'm thrilled. And I thought the the Texas team responded well. Um, yeah, there were definitely some concerns, but game day atmosphere was there. The team was ready, but I do feel like we lost a little bit of focus um, uh, towards the end. Um, you know, had fun with the frogs. We definitely tailgated a bit. Uh, met up with some folks. We got we got some fun uh, some fun drinks in before the game, but and then climbed what felt like the mile high stairs to get all the way to the nosebleeds where they put the Texas fans. But uh, one thing, man, I do want to shout out to the traveling Texas fans because burnt orange showed up in the stadium. I don't know how well it showed on TV, but there were like half Texas there. Yeah. I mean, there were definitely big pockets of burnt orange, which we know a lot of alumni and a lot of fans live up in the DFW area. So it's always good to see us show out there. So it's crazy to me. This is something that was said on Twitter and I hadn't like put two and two together until I saw this. Texas hadn't won in Fort Worth since Mac Brown. That is insane to me. Like that number just because Mac feels so, so, so long ago, right? My God, we haven't had a one, a win, a, a head coach, a Texas head coach hasn't had a win in Fort Worth since Mac Brown. So happy that Sark came out. I felt, you know, there were a ton of errors and we'll definitely dive into that, like some mental mistakes. But the thing I walked away with just watching the team in person feeling good about is yes, we made the mistakes. Yes. We had the mental lapses, but teams of the past decade wouldn't have won this game. They wouldn't have been able to overcome those errors and those mistakes. And, and they would have dropped the game. And despite what I felt like our team kind of dropping off at the end, we still came out and beat the spread. 
So for me, that's a win, man. Like, yes, of course it's, it goes in the W column, but I'm happy about it. Like I feel good, not great. I feel good about the win. And I definitely think it gives us a ton to build on as we go into OU. So what did it look like on TV? Y'all, I always, I miss out on that perspective for sure. What were y'all seeing, you know, live on TV? Overall, the same frustrations you were. Again, to, to echo what you just said, um, it was, it was, Nice to just get over this like psychological roadblock. It didn't have to be pretty, but um, at the end of the day, we we nosed the grindstone, like just just dug it out and, and, and survived. And you know, there's a lot to to pick apart and critique, but it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, we found a way to win. And I think um, for our our uh, program in general, being able to do that, especially going forward, because we still haven't faced Oklahoma State, West Virginia. Oklahoma, especially figuring out ways to win winnable games or close games like that, when in the past we've had such issues with those things, is definitely a step in the right direction, pretty win or not. So I think one of the points, you know, the point you made, we haven't won there since 2013. Charlie Strong and Tom Herman got out coached in those games. And um, absolutely. Yeah. And this was the first time that our coach in a long time out coached the other team and and the game could have been put away earlier if it wasn't for drop balls or a couple of weird penalties that I don't know where the refs thought those should be penalties some holding stuff that wasn't called whatever whatever it happened on both sides too there was crazy refing for both sides but I think this was the first time that this game if there was just one or two more caught balls or not a silly false start or something like that could have put this game away a lot earlier Sarkeesian absolutely 100% out coached Gary Patterson and it could have been bigger if the players had executed and even you know Sark said that in his press conference yesterday that the execution was absolutely lacking they've addressed it you know that hopefully they've got this all out I was really excited to see a big worthy game and it wasn't his day but maybe he's saving it for OU I don't know but that road environment was, was tough for him, but I I'm, I'm happy that our coach went in there and out coached for 60 minutes. While I agree with most of that, I don't know that he was quote out. He out coached Gary Patterson as much as he was at least on par with him when every other year, Gary Patterson flat out out coached us. I mean, it was pretty, pretty even down the wire. Like, I mean, we got caught up in, in some, in some weird stuff too. Gary Patterson brought his a game. I thought he coached a, a well executed game himself. I think what ultimately pulled us ahead is that I think one thing we just have better talent across the board. Um, and, and we can go into the specifics about Bijan versus Zach Evans or whatever. Um, but I think that this is where we should be when at least the coaches are on the same plane and Texas has the advantage because we are a more talented program. And see, I would disagree with you because there's a lot of people who had Zach Evans ranked higher than Bijan. And overall he was a composite number one quarterback. I mean, running back at the time, but there are still people who would take Zach Evans well before this season before this <laughs> yeah. B. who had him rated higher coming out of high school. Uh, if it wasn't for his discipline issues. Right. Yeah. But I, I just, and, and then across the board, I think TCU does have talent. They have NFL yeah, quality yeah. players. I think, like I said, if it wasn't for massive lack of execution at some major key points, 
it would have been a pull away blowout. It could have been. Agreed. You know, I was feeling at halftime, Hey man, we've got this, like, we look good. We're executing well. We're doing, you know, again, we had some drop balls. We, we were, I, I was screaming once again, why are we only running Bijan? Why don't we at least give him a two back look? You know, that was frustrating me throughout the whole game, but you know, at halftime, I felt good. We were up by, I want to say it was like 15, 14, 21. I mean, we were up pretty high at halftime and then it felt like the team just kind of backed off and it felt like they kind of lost that focus and Stark addressed that in the presser too. He said the second half of the game, he wasn't happy with the execution. He wasn't happy with where the mentality was. Um, and you know, he even talked about wanting to take, perhaps he should have taken a timeout just to get the, the team's head back in the game and to kind of chew him up a little bit and tell him to focus, but he didn't because he wanted to preserve those timeouts if we needed him at the end. And that was something that he was questioning, you know, during his presser on his own coaching. So I, you know, but again, having that kind of self-awareness is not something that we have had in a long time in our head coach and being upfront and honest and kind of ditching the coach speak and being really blunt about the game plan and if it went according to plan or if it didn't, that's refreshing to me. So I, I was happy to hear Sark say that not happy about the laps necessarily. Um, but I will say, you know, one of the things that I was shocked with is that Zach Evans didn't get the ball more 15 carries, 15 carries. Right. And G Pat comes out after, Oh, he's tired, which to me felt like a coach throwing his player under the bus. Your star running back is coming in saying I'm tired after 15 carries. That's on your preparation coach. That's not on your player. That's on your strength and conditioning. That's you not having your players ready for what you knew was going to be a hard fought game. Secondly, you're the coach that made the calls to only give him 15 carries tired or not, man. Like you didn't adjust with that 15 carries from Zach Evans when he's tearing things up, when he gets the ball is ridiculous to me. I, you know, if he had carried 35 times like Bijan did, this may have been a very different game. Sarkeesian addressed, like you said, the preparation. It happens long before they kick off whether or not Zach Evans is going to be prepared for the game. He talked about how they challenged Bijan to be ready for these kind of physical games. Something, you know, we had challenged him early on, coming out of spring ball, of physically and mentally preparing himself for those kind of games when those games would come up. And uh, he responded extremely well, you know, he really did. And I know there was a level of fatigue there at late in the fourth quarter, um, but I think there's, we can always dig deeper. And I think he's a prime example of that, of the, how our team continues to dig deeper, like we've talked about. Uh, I think he, that's an individual um, component to look at where a guy was able to dig even deeper, um, you know, that how powerful our mind is. Our body can tell us one thing, but our, but our mind can, can overcome. And I think that that happened Saturday. Do you think Zach Evans wasn't mentally and physically prepared? To yeah, listen, or I, maybe I'm reading more into it because I love juicy coach drama. But mm -hmm. to me, that's throwing shade. That's throwing shade at Herman. That's throwing shade at GPAT for throwing his star player under the bus and not having him ready. That's, you know, and again, to me, those are the small things that players see, players hear, players watch, like this is getting put out. And when you're watching a coach up at Fort Worth, essentially say his player wasn't ready and putting it on the player versus you have a coach at Texas saying, I told my guy to be ready. And guess what? He was ready. He showed up ready. He stayed ready. He executed like, I don't know. Who do you want to play for? 
right? Who, who, what coach do you want to be under? Uh, man, I don't know. I, I love seeing it from Sark. And look, I want to address something too. We were talking about Bijan showing up ready as we know he's going to be, he's a workhorse. We, we get that. I was a little disappointed in the reactions, not in the play necessarily, but in the reactions with Casey. So Casey stays ready and he's always been that guy. We've seen that. We've talked about it ad nauseum, right? I've seen a few talking heads out there saying, oh, well, Casey wasn't ready. He, he had all these, you know, had interceptions yet. Listen, Casey was out there. He wasn't on his A game. I'll, I'll be the first to say that he missed some throws. He wasn't, there were a couple ill-advised throws, but our guys were getting hit in the breadbasket. They were getting hit in the hands and dropping balls that should have been caught. There's no question. They, his receivers did not help him out this, this game. So yes, I think where I'm confident with Casey is that he's going to address that with his players this week. Hey guys, like that's where the leadership that I, we weren't seeing before. That's, that's the leadership where he steps up and says, look, here are the plays. Let's do this. Let's run this. And, and he's going to be vocal and talk to his guys to get him ready. So Rocky was saying you wanted to see Worthy have a big game. He had the potential. He just didn't execute this game. I think that is absolutely going to be turned around for OU. You know, Jay Witt had a great game, and I think Jay Witt's going to stay ready. He's got that taste of success. He knows what to do. He's a big, strong back, that we're, we're run, wide receiver, that we're going to need him out there blocking. We're going to need him out there getting physical with OU. I think we see him ready, hands ready. Um, you know, we're going to see our guys step up and I'm, I'm confident with that, you know, coming up that Casey's going to be the guy to help address that thing. He's going to be coaching right there with Sark and help lead this team versus, oh, he didn't, he wasn't ready. He wasn't prepared. He's, he, he won't be ready. I like that you mentioned Jordan Weddington, three, pa- three catches for 79, which doesn't like jump off the stat sheet, but it was when his catches were made. So he had that really nice route for that touchdown up the middle when they needed a little separation. But the biggest thing was those deep balls that they were just going after. Couldn't, you know, they either get pass interference or they get tripped up or whatever it is, but finally they connected and it had to happen. Eventually they finally connected on a deep ball for 37 yards. And that was huge. Tell you, Hannah, what what I do agree with you where Patterson did have Sark's number on Saturday was in the red zone. And that's when it matters the most, right? So that's, that's where I would say Patterson did have Sark's number because one, we all knew the ball was going to be John a couple of times, like the whole world knew, but going from 19 of 20 TDs in the red zone to just one and six TDs in the red zone against TCU and right. one of them, the fourth and goal, and everybody knew uh, Bijan was getting it. And we handed there. it off at five yards behind. Yeah. I, oh, sorry, I know I'm getting loud. No, I know. That. How, yeah. how are you going to hand off the ball? You've got this big back. Your O-line is executing at this point. Why are you giving him the ball five yards behind the line of scrimmage when you got to drill it into the end zone? That made no sense to me. Yeah, that that was questionable play calling on that specific play. Um, the second half, so we got, I mean, the special teams or, or defense, we got some turnovers that all we could capitalize on were, were just field, field goals. goals. Right. And, and while it's important to take the points one call, it was the last field goal we scored before we scored our last touchdown was uh, we, we were uh, third and goal and it wasn't play calling. Bijan didn't make the third down or the first down. The play call in my opinion was fine, but go watch, go watch the replay. Xavier Worthy completely woofed on his block. 
and you see him on the sideline. And this is refreshing to see as a Texas fan. And Sarkeesian is known for not yelling at his players. He's pretty even kill, pretty like you see him over on the sideline and Andre Coleman and Sarkeesian are both like lighting into him on the sideline for missing that block, because that could have cost us, depending on what TCU did after that, like could have cost us dearly. We didn't know that at the time, but that's what I'm saying. Like you need to be right. Exactly. You're within four yards of scoring and you don't get in because your guys aren't executing to me. If we play like that and we have shit like that happening next weekend, it's not going to fly. Yeah. But like, you cannot let up in a time like that. You cannot, that could have been like the game changing play. That was bad that he missed it. It was obviously coached in the moment and you know, it was addressed later. Good to see. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And look, I I do want to talk about worthy too. So, you know, he, he had a rough game, but I want to talk about that interception that happened in what looked to be triple coverage. It wasn't triple coverage. And watching this, I, I'm sure you guys saw this. Obviously, they're not going to replay Pulling him the by game. the jersey. Yeah, man. Yeah, he, we, the, the defender was literally, I mean, the very perfect textbook definition of pass interference. He's holding Worthy by the jersey for a solid two, three yards while they're running, mm-hmm. which put Worthy behind the play, which gave the other defenders the ability to be where the ball was. I have no doubt that, you know, had he not been held, that ball was right on the money. You look at it over and over and the ball was Casey put the ball where it needed to be, where worthy was going to be. Mm-hmm. Had he not been held up, had he not been pulled. And then you had the, the other defenders, you know, there, there was two defenders out of, out of position, one defender that got there in time because worthy Worthy's body was not wasn't there. there. So again, I'm not putting that on worthy. I'm not putting that on Casey. I'm putting that on absolutely horrific officiating like we have been seeing from the big 12 and, and y'all, there were a lot of those in this game. Can we, can we talk just for a hot second? Funky, funky, either missed calls, bad calls. And it happened either way. And then just really shady feeling. I don't know how y'all feel like something that should be clear as day, either it's a call or it's not a call. And they're like, one guy calls up and then they're like, oh, we got to meet real quick, yeah, you know, talk like, about what is the and then like, that's it. And it's like right. picking up flags on obvious. Ooh, and and yeah. look, mm. I don't think any of us were under the illusion that Texas was going to catch any breaks. I'm sure Oklahoma is seeing similar things, but I'm going to say this. It was horribly officiated both ways. I think Texas got the brunt of it, but there were calls that were oh, missed yeah. both ways. There were certainly calls against Texas. Like, can we talk about that overshone unsportsmanlike conduct? <laughs> Where yeah. they said that he was, I mean, they were debating targeting on that. When he, because he quote unquote came in late when he was just finishing a tackle that was already finishing happening. the tackle. Exactly. Yes. I, I mean, and, and I understand we want to protect the players. We want to make sure that they're staying safe and that they're healthy. But at some point, we've got to figure out what the fuck targeting is and what the fuck actual good defense is and let the kids play. Thing that is unsportsmanlike conduct or unnecessary roughness roughness or whatever doesn't need to be a full ejection. Like I feel bad for, or like the lady said on Twitter, an ejaculation. But (laughs) oh my God. Oh Lord. Uh, That's pretty good. Yeah. No, that doesn't need to be ejection. So they actually got 
I think bad call. I mean, it was, I think it was targeting. I don't think it was an intent to, you know, kill someone that they had to eject the kid in the first few minutes of the game. Right. Um, But yeah, TCU lost one of their best defenders early. Right. um, And and shouldn't have, frankly, shouldn't have. I don't, I don't think it was targeting. I mean, I'll allow it, but I would. (laughs) Right. I'll take it. We'll call it a makeup call for the three bad calls before that. But look, I, I agree. I, I want to watch football. I want to watch good football and I want to watch these players play their hardest. And when we're getting to a point that, you know, if you tackle a guy and have this perfect form tackle, you could get ejected from the game that affects the game. And that's, you know, certainly we don't want to blame officiating for, for an outcome of a game, but it does feel at some point we are going to see this really piss poor officiating affect the outcome of a game. And, and that just shouldn't be the case. Yeah. Every now and then you'll see a quarterback kind of act like they're going to go down, but then keep going because they know that the, the the defender might even hold up and not hit them because they're going to get called, you know, like now they're just taking advantage of it. And then they're right. going to I don't know. It's but why not? Sure. I mean, like I would too, uh, you know, if you play to win and there's nothing against that. I, I think that's kind of smart. Like, mm-hmm. but it's just too bad because I feel like we're getting a, a crappy version of football in return. So yeah, a dumbed yeah. down version of it. it yeah. I agree just with that. Silly, yeah, just inconsistent at the very least. So, so, so yeah. I did want to ask you all this. We we all know that Okafor, unfortunately, Denzel Okafor is out for the season in an injury that very likely has ended his college career. He was a six year taking advantage of that COVID year. Um, had a pretty pretty painful leg injury. It looked like he was in that tent for a long time. I was, you know, texting you guys during the game, like the med tent's still up, folk is still in there. He's it's yeah, this ain't good. And then again, I don't know if they showed this on TV. They brought out the crash cart, um, you know, pulled him, pulled him into it and got him off the field and he was gone. And then after the game, I saw him with the big leg brace on, which it, yeah. walking under his own power, which was good, had his little crutch and his, his trainers kept having to remind him, use the crutch, man. He was trying to fight through it, but um, yeah. What I do yeah. remember is defense. I remember and Anthony cook. Okay. We have to give love to Anthony cook. That sack fumble was amazing. The way it was disguised, he executed perfectly. And the best thing ever is when you uh, sack a quarterback, force the fumble and you get to pick it up and run with it. And you get to, yeah. And you get to recover your own sack fumble. That's pretty awesome. Cook is he, he balled out y'all. He had uh, eight tackles, two of them tackles for losses. Of course you mentioned the sack and the fumble and the recovery recovery he was the mvp of our defense on saturday Absolutely. no question yeah he's awesome. i mean overshone got the defensive player of the game but yeah overshone led in tackles but i think cook had a huge impact agree more impact i i yeah. definitely think that cook was there he showed up again stayed ready and and that's one of the things again i've i've talked about this a little bit i'm going to keep emphasizing it because i feel like this is part of the culture change we're seeing under sarkeesian Texas has been known for being a bit entitled, right? That's been a problem that we've had for the past decade and has, who I know question us, not us. Uh, Yeah. But I think that's something we're starting to see a shift in before where we had players tweeting at halftime, getting blown out in Fort Worth. Now we've got guys that are showing up that, that the moves that they're making and the, the preparedness that they have doesn't necessarily show up on a stat sheet but they're there, they're making the blocks, they're in position, they're doing what they need to do for the team to be successful, not necessarily for them to be successful. And I feel maybe I'm overstating this, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but that 
that seems like it's coming out more and more every game. And it feels like a shift from where we have been before. Um, another player that I really wanted to highlight was Darian Dunn. We had been talking about him earlier in the year because he's just a hard hitter and they had him in a lot of more shallow coverage stuff and, you know, not really expected him to cover much deep or whatever, but this Saturday he had to come in for Josh Thompson, who was out for a concussion protocol, right? And Darian Dunn transferred from McNeese. Sark said in his press conference that he'd earned reps and he was really learning the systems. They were planning on getting him more time anyway. And then he ended up having to start the game. Amazing. He covered his end. Of course, you know, TC is going to get their shots and they got, they threw 482 on Texas on Saturday, but I was, I was really impressed with him. I'm excited that he's on our team. I love the depth and I hope he gets to play a lot this year. He's a hard hitter, hard hitter. He reminds me of like a PJ lock hit style, like where he just, he wants to hurt you. I love it. Which I love. Yeah. You want, yeah. you want in yes. your DBs. You want that nastiness. You want that aggression. Mm-hmm. You want that, like, I'm here to F you up, man. Like, I love that. I, I want, I want that all day. Another transfer to win. Yay. Yeah, right. hey, Transform. Man, thank we, God for the portal. Well. Can't believe I'm the saying portal, that. Yeah. The portal has helped for sure. And quick shout out. I, I'm not going to linger on it too long. I love Dicker the kicker. And I'm going to go ahead and give him that quick shout out because he got the co special teams player of the week week he was on point he was ready he was hitting now I also want to say and point out he he had gotten some heat right he fans getting on him you know people pundits saying oh he's he's not a great kicker but we switched out holders and Sark addressed that as well in the press you know press was hounding him hey we saw that Hudson card wasn't holding what was that about are you trying to red shirt him and start shut that down real fast (laughs) shut that down real fast and said look I'm not, we're not about, we don't think about red shirts. That's not in the plan here. The only reason Hudson card wasn't holding. And again, this was subtle, but coach Sark said the only reason Hudson card wasn't holding was because Dicker felt more comfortable. So again, let's talk about that chemistry. Some of the kicks, I mean, the the holder is such an underrated position on special teams Mm -hmm. because it, I mean, they can make or break the kick. I want to point that out and say that Cameron had a fantastic game and that little change of who the holder was made a big difference. So I think going forward, we are probably going to see, especially in a game like OU, we're not going to be seeing Hudson card holding right now until they get a little more time in. Uh, And so we give that most comfortable position to Cameron Dicker, who we all know can make or change, make or break the game for OU. Right. Four for four and field goals in a one possession game. That's huge. Um, especially when Absolutely. the red zone struggles were massive, those points made a, made a big difference at the right times. That was, that was good. Good shout out. He was, he was good punting too. And and thank goodness he's had like some breaks from punting re- recently. So maybe he got to rest up his punting leg. Um, yeah. He was awesome. It's good to see him get that confidence back, especially going into next week. So. Well, we know Absolutely. he he built Absolutely. his confidence off of OU, right? We all know that. <laughs> yeah. Right. We all know the gift that will forever live in UT infamy, the the eyebrow wiggle. Everybody knows the that. You got you to gotta love it. You got to love it. So y'all, this is normally when we would launch in to talking about OU and the huge game that we have coming up. We all love the Red River shootout, but we are going to take a little break from that. And we are going to tell you that we have got two very special guests coming up to give exclusive Texas OU coverage in a whole nother episode. Next episode, we will have Kyle Umlang, the man, the legend, the stat king of Texas football. 
And also, because we love y'all and we love drama, we're going to bring in Blinken Riley as well. He is Hi. Kyle's counterpart for OU. Crazy, crazy stuff. So we're going to have those two behemoths of Twitter come in and uh, duke it out for an all OU, Texas OU hate week coverage on our next podcast. So y'all be looking for that to drop real soon, probably sooner rather than later. Yeah, it's going <laughs> in there. Well before kickoff, y'all. So stay tuned for that. That's going to be super exciting. All right. That's a huge get. Getting the two biggest stat guys that just drop knowledge, drop info, blast people on Twitter with the facts. Kyle Umlang and Blink and Raleigh. That's huge. Good job, everybody. Another thing that's a really good get, Gridiron Metal. Have you been to their website? They have amazing stuff with logos, Texas logos. If Aggies, Texas Tech, wherever you're a big fan of, you can go to gridironmetal.com. You can find all kinds of cool stuff for holiday gifts or go ahead and buy yourself stuff. You're going to be grilling for tailgates. Use the code CANNON12, C-A-N-N-O-N-1-2, and you get 15% off. And if you spend a hundred bucks, you get free shipping. So that's pretty good. I was scrolling through today. I found some cool stuff. I'm going to buy myself. They have this little letter holder, this little card holder. I'm going to grab that for myself. Use the Canon 12 discount. I save myself 15%. <laughs> yeah. It, listen, if you're a tailgater or if you've got somebody that just loves the team and love to grill, man, you've got to hop over it. Like they've got these really cool smoker chimneys with a laser cut longhorn out of it. They've got grill grates, all kinds of cool stuff. Every time I've had it at the tailgate, people have been like, that's cool as hell. That's cool as hell. So we'll definitely share some, some pictures with that. And you guys hop on again. Don't forget that discount code is Canon 12, C-A-N-N-O-N-1-2. You get 15% off. Tell them that Fire the Canon sent you because we love you. Yeah. And like Hannah, Hannah likes to say, it's the real orange. <laughs> it's the it is the orange. real orange. Good <laughs> Lord. It's the good. And I love, you know, I love products that are actually burnt orange. So <laughs> thank you, Gridiron for giving me what I want. <laughs> all right. College yeah. football fans, you can have all that. And so Texas is on a roll, right? We're three and oh, three and oh, in our last three games, everyone else, some people are not faring so well. Womp, womp, womp. Sad trombone. <laughs> Hannah, we're going to go ahead and let you introduce oh, God. our favorite loss you, of Hannah. the week. Oh, the formerly ranked number seven, Texas A&M Aggies fell for the second time in a row to an unranked Mississippi State. At home. At home <laughs> in front of 100,000 Aggies. That happened. Um, and by the way, y'all, guess who they have this weekend? Alabama. Turns out. Turns um. out. <laughs> turns out they're not going to be facing Georgia for the for the SEC title yeah. because they're about to be three and three and zero oh and three in their own um, division. They are dead last. I mean, it's crazy. The Aggies are on track to finish dead last in their division, which is not what I was told at the beginning of this season. No, I, I was told national championship. I was told yeah. Bama beaters. Man, okay, can we talk about this for a second? I, I again, I don't want to give them too much of a shout out. I will say, I will give their student section credit after getting whooped at home by an unranked Mississippi State team. They still have kids showing up to buy tickets, camping out for, sure. for two days. I can tell you, I've never seen Texas students do that, except for like LSU. Well, right? because we're and they're in showing 2021 up and we have electric tickets. We don't need to camp. Yeah, it, turns, it turns out <laughs> that we don't need those dang old farmer tickets. <laughs> but hey, shout out to the student section. The Aggies will bring it there. But Listen, a guilty pleasure of mine 
is going to tech sags after a loss, oh, yes. especially a loss that wasn't supposed to happen. And for all the, the pomp and arrogance that we had coming from the farmers at the beginning of the season, I'm not going to lie. Maybe this makes me a bad person, but I have enjoyed watching the complete and utter nuclear meltdown that is happening over there right now. Hannah, I'm sure your dude Lee Cheese <laughs> is not having a great week, not loving what's going on on his boards, but I got to say, it's been kind of fun to watch. Honestly, and I'll say this, to be fair, um, he's more annoyed, not with what's going on like in football, but just having to deal with it, just that aspect of like what he does for a living because it can get ugly. They can turn on you and you have to, I mean, this is true for any insider website. There's There's nothing about that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Go to Orange Bloods after Arkansas and there's doom and gloom all over the place there too. Like I'm sure that part of the job is just really not fun. Yeah, it's it's just overall, it's a bummer that they lost their quarterback in the second uh, game of the year. And uh, Calzada is um, definitely a step down or five. (laughs) And uh, the team doesn't really rally around him. It's just unfortunate. Um, I don't know that Haynes King coming back, though, will be what gets them over the like, say, Ole Miss hump or Auburn, because they still have to face those teams who could give them a headache, even with him back. As long as Jimbo Fisher is running an archaic offense that I just don't know. I mean, it, it doesn't seem like nothing about what they run is exciting or, or scores points. And they struggled with Colorado. They struggle. I mean, they just, they just struggled to put any points on the board, which is why I don't understand why Alabama is only favored by 17. Or were they expecting the score to be 17 to zero? I mean, Alabama is going to put 40 or 50 on their own. Yeah. It's going to be crazy. I, you know, and I do think the Aggies rebound a little bit, not rebound as in win, but I think they show up for this game. They're ready to play Bama, but I do think it's going to be a spirit breaker. Uh, I agree. I think 17 feels a, a little weird. I think it'll be a close game in the beginning, but I think we see that, but I, I don't know, man, I, this whole AM thing, it, they're kind of a paradox, you, you know, Rocky, you brought up Jimbo Fisher. A lot of people were high on him. The Aggies came in, obviously, super highly ranked this year, a lot of high expectations, and they certainly have not lived up to it. But Rocky, to your point, has Jimbo ever lived up to to the crazy high expectations with his offense? He had Jameis Winston before when he won. So, yeah, you have a generational quarterback that is, you know, insane (laughs) on how he plays. How much of that was Winston versus Jimbo's schemes, you know, Jimbo's offense? I, I, I don't know. And I think it's pretty obvious at this point, Jimbo has been figured out, right? The offense isn't adjusting. They're not changing. Again, something that Longhorn fans can relate to and have a little bit of PTSD about. We understand that, but he's hammering the same thing over and over and over. And I'm telling you, if Colorado can figure you out, you think that Saban doesn't know what's going to happen? And you have to love the quote that Saban had recently. You know, we brought it up. And again, we chat all the time between the three of us. And it was brought up. Saban, what was it? The quote was, uh, you know, oh, A&M has a lot of great personnel. This will be the best personnel we face. This will be the best team personnel-wise that we we will play. Yeah, The most backhanded compliment right Absolutely. So he, of course yes their personnel is fantastic they have a highly recruited class they have players that had national offers you know they they have talent four and five stars at texas a&m the issue was too bad they don't have any coaching was the too second half of the sentence the second half of the Listen. sentence that saban didn't say 
the part that wasn't said was the most telling and hilarious, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So look, again, we have our Aggie friends. We love our Aggies, but with as much as we heard chirping at the beginning of the season, we have to revel in it a little bit, but I will say again, Texas fans be kind of careful what kind of pro you're serving right now, because we do have OU. We've got some tough games coming up. We we're running the gauntlet. So absolutely. So, so talk about eating it too. Like Clemson, man, they dropped wow. out. Finally, they, they drop out now they, they won, but it was Ooh. a small win, uh, you know, against, again, somebody that's not so, so are we going to put Dabo and Jimbo kind of in the same atmosphere for coaching? What are y'all's thoughts on that? You still high on Dabo? I, I haven't been high on Dabo since like Sean Watson played for him <laughs> really uh, well. And of course I like Trevor Lawrence as a player, but by that point we knew that Dabo Sweeney was eh. Maybe not the best guy. Yeah. He's not, you know, <laughs> like you're, you're down home country boy. That's just all wonderful and stuff. He's got his issues. I don't know that he's that great of a coach. He's not the mastermind that Saban is clearly, It'll be interesting to see if they can reload. I mean, because they've recruited really, really, really well. Mm-hmm. But does he, does, does Dabo Sweeney need that lightning in a bottle type quarterback, that generational quarterback that he's been lucky to have twice in a short amount of time? Can he do, what can he do with just like, like acceptable or like run of the mill? Yeah, I, well, I think he's this not is a really five star at quarterback. He's just not putting him in the best positions to win. And the O line right now for Clemson is lacking. They always have a strong defense, but even they're struggling. So who knows what's happening over there? You think, you think Clemson comes back up in the rankings? Only because the rest of their schedule is bullshit. (laughs) They might. Well, that's fair. All of the ACC, right? Mm -hmm. Come to find out the ACC is garbage. Hey, and I was really hoping North Carolina, you know, they started a team they took a butt right. with it early. They came back a little bit, but they're not good either. Like who in the ACC? Yeah. Our fighting Mac Browns aren't what the we want. Fighting Mac Browns are the sad Mac Browns. Yeah. yeah. So their schedule <laughs> the doesn't help Mac them. Browns. That's fair. That's fair. So let's talk about Penn state real quick. So college game day, we had that huge announcement. College game day is going to be back in Dallas, going to be there for the split down the middle cotton bowl and all that goes with that. But Penn State, number four, Penn State at number three, Iowa. That's a big game. What do y'all think about game day choosing Texas OU over Penn State at Iowa? Is that fair? Well, they covered it. They were, they covered the, they were at the Penn State game this last weekend. So I can kind of see it in that regard, even though the the game, Penn State's game versus Iowa is in Iowa. So, but, but from the aspect of like, they don't, it's probably not a good thing to cover the same team. Like you can just follow the same teams around the country all, all the time, but um. I also think it speaks to what, how truly big the Texas OU rivalry is and how this game is kind of shaping up that even though, you know, OU is what, number six now, and we're 21, it matters. The the, the nation's going to be watching. There's big implications on the line with the conference realignment coming up. Um, and sorry, Iowa and Penn State, but y'all are, quote, regional brands. Not to hammer the Aggies again, but had they held up against Mississippi State at home last weekend, they could have game day this weekend with Alabama coming because they could have stayed in a top 15 team. So not to go kick that dead horse, but <laughs> they didn't hold up. So they <laughs> lost game day because they were talking about this being a top 10 matchup at home for them and they'd have game day, but game day chose Texas OU this weekend. And like you said, it's Penn state. I was top five, but it's very much regional people around the country 
will watch it because it's top five football, but Texas OU is historic. It, it absolutely is. And it's such a cool atmosphere too, right? You know, you're at the state fair, you've got, uh, there aren't many places that have the stadium split literally right down the middle on the 50 yard line held in a location. That's literally the exact midway point between the two college towns. That's also got all of this, you know, the world's largest state fair going on around it. It's crazy. You know, millions and millions of people go through the state fair every year and you've got hundreds of thousands at state fair park during the game. I mean, it's just, it's incredible and there's nothing like it. And look for the folks that have never been to a Texas OU weekend. I know Rocky, we, I know we're going to hear it from you, but I've got to say for me, this is one of the most magical, special feelings and, and atmospheres of any college game. I, I'd say of any professional game. It, it's, there's just something beautiful and magical about OU weekend. You know, I, I, I love it. I love it. Especially coming off of last year real quick that it, it was COVID wasn't the same clearly, um, I think fans are going to be fired up and it's going to be, it's going to be back in full force, especially with game day and all of that. So I'm excited. I get to go. And especially because there's no clear favorite <laughs> this year, right? The spread is only three for Texas OU, no clear pull away favorite, but so let's talk again. We are talking about Penn state, Iowa, who do you have Penn state put a drumming on Maryland? I mean, sorry, Iowa put a drumming on Maryland, Penn state handled their business. Who would you who are you picking to win that game? Penn state at Iowa. Might as well throw that out real quick. Who would you say? I love it. I, I mean, I think it's going to be a crazy battle. I think we're going to see some really good football. And I would argue that the big 10 is one of the best, more consistent and one of the most underrated conferences in college football. So look, Penn state at Iowa, I'm going to take Iowa, but the only reason I'm taking Iowa is because it's at Iowa. I think the home field advantage takes over, the adrenaline takes over, that that crowd supporting them helps. So I think Iowa wins, but I think it's a squeaker. I agree. I, I would I'd take Iowa in this a close game for sure, like you said, Megan. Um, it's at home. And then just from what I've observed of the two teams, and of course I don't follow either one of them like super closely, but I think Iowa's, in my opinion, been like a, a little more impressive um, in their games and who they faced and whatnot. So, but you know, it could easily swing the other way. I wouldn't be surprised. All right. I also, I also pick Iowa to win. All right. Let's wrap this up and get to our rapid fire questions. This is a fun part where I'm going to throw some stuff out and you ladies give me your first thoughts. I want you to hear here, number one, and this is Marcus Spears talking about Urban Meyer. We got enough evidence about who Urban Meyer is, America. We have enough. If you want to research it, research it yourself, go ahead and do it. I've researched it. I've talked to people in circles. It's enough out there for everybody to understand why Urban Meyer shouldn't be the head coach of anybody. Of anybody. Thoughts? Listen, we've been screaming this from day one. When it was when the ink was all but dry on a deal that fell through because of the NFL, we had a lot of people clamoring for Urban Meyer to be at Texas. And all of us on this podcast were absolutely appalled, not because of his record, not because of can he turn a football program around, but because of who he is as a person. We've mm -hmm. seen it time and again, his Florida teams, yeah, they won championships, but they also had murderers that were on the team. You know, he had, he has consistently had disciplinary problems with his players. And then we've seen it in his personal life show up time and again. 
covering for wife beater Zach Smith, covering for all the drama that happened at Ohio State, clearly knowing about it, covering it up and, and allowing for really ugly, disgusting things to happen on his team and seeming to not give a single solitary fuck about it. And then when times get hard, the man pieces out because of quote unquote health issues and wants to quote unquote focus on family. And then magically he pops back up a year or two later at some other high paying job where he doesn't have to have any accountability. Fuck Urban Meyer. Fuck who he is as a person. Fuck him sexually assaulting a woman at the bar and then trying to roll it off as them trying to get him on the dance floor. Fuck everything about him. Urban Meyer is trash. Yeah. Um, thank God we dodged that bullet, ladies. A thousand percent. I think, I'm not saying he couldn't have gotten Texas to win. I think we would be winning. But y'all, the wheels were, would eventually come off and we would end up way in needy shit like Jacksonville. If anything, that's maybe a little surprising, but not really. Like it's, he's like, what, five games into the season and it's already coming up. But, but you know what? You hired a scumbag as your head coach and I'm glad it's their problem and not ours. Agreed. Agreed. And, and look, I, again, I want to hammer this point home. I know that we've made, made jokes about his weekend. We've seen all angles. There's a lot of funny stuff going on on Twitter. And to an extent, like I laugh at it too. No, no question. But you got to laugh through the ugly shit. That is sexual assault. What he did was sexual assault reaching into, not on, reaching into a woman's butt and farther forward is sexual assault. The woman has come out on Twitter and said, I didn't ask him to do this. Oh my God, I can't believe y'all have videos of Urban Meyer grabbing me. This is unwanted. This again, textbook sexual assault. So I think we, I want to hammer that home because so many women experience things like this and it gets blown off and pretend, oh, oh, he just grazed you. Oh, it's just a butt. He just grabbed like, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal because it's gross. It is gross. You don't, if that man did not have permission to do that, he shouldn't be doing it. Period. Stop touching women when they don't want to be touched. Period. Exactly. Sexual assault. And on Sexual top assault. of that, his wife is at home with their grandkids. Everything about that, like if whatever kind of marriage they have, that's their business. But like you said, if the woman didn't want to be touched and this creepo douchebag is all is putting his hands on all over her, that's horrific. It's also horribly embarrassing for the family who doesn't need this disgusting behavior on the news and while their children watch and grandchildren right. watch. And then it's also a massive distraction to the team who is 0 and 4. I mean, right. I, I just, I just hope they don't fire him till Sunday after my team beats them. So yeah, he can, suck, he can suck it. And we've been saying this, like you said, we've said it forever. Keep that disgusting pig away anywhere far from anything we're doing at Texas. Or any program. I, I've right. got to agree with Marcus Spears on that. You know, things happen. People deserve second chances. I agree with this, but Urban Meyer is not on a second chance. This is, he has shown us consistently. It was the saying when somebody shows you who they are, believe them. Why aren't we believing them at this point? He, he's proven himself over and over again to not be a good dude. And, and having that man lead and shape young men, you know, on whatever team he's on to me is just don't do it. If, if any coach or any program or institution that hires urban Meyer at this point, you've lost all credibility. 
How do you, how do you look anybody in the face and say, oh yeah, we, we believe him to be an upstanding person and a leader of men. No, man, like anybody. And again, I'm bitter and jaded. I know he's going to get a job when he gets fired inevitably from the NFL, he'll get a college job and somebody will pick him up, but it just, it's disheartening. And we need to talk about it more because why are these dudes, hell, I'm going to say this too. Why are these white middle-aged men who are proving themselves to be gross, getting opportunities over and over and over again, when there are so many other coaches and, and people who deserve, who are more deserving, who are better humans and, and who, who deserve the chance to step up and do something great. Why give this man a 47th chance? I don't get it. Oh, disgusting. Thing. All right. Moving on. Yeah. Thank you. Moving on. So Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp <laughs> were down yesterday. I have to play for you. I'm sure, you know, Blair at Erskine, she's hilarious. She does like, she's the uh, spokesperson for these companies. Let me play you a little clip of what she said about Facebook being down. Um, thank you for having me. Yes. We here at Facebook um, would just like to say, <laughs> I thought you deleted Facebook. We just think it's kind of funny that last night everybody was like, hashtag delete Facebook. And then this morning they're like, hashtag Facebook down, you know, because like, which one is it? Did y'all already delete it or is it down? Because it can't be down if you delete it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Are we supposed to apologize for paying attention to you and knowing what you're doing and where you are and what you like, because we are listening to you constantly because guess who else is listening to you? Nobody. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Like, uh, are are we supposed to apologize for like stalking you and invading your privacy and like selling nobody's your listening to you just because nobody else listens to you? Well, you know, oh my she's God, a you Canadian, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes. I love it. I love it. Like to me that the, the satire is perfect. It's perfect because yeah, I mean, Facebook it, it, and look, I was like, I've, I've definitely moved away from Facebook more. And to be clear, we're in a capitalist society, Facebook, Instagram, all the social media stuff none of them are out look, looking out for any of us. There's no question. They're out oh, to make money. Right. Zuckerberg's been really good at how he does it and doing it in a shady way. No question. But like, is anybody surprised that Facebook is going through all this stuff? Let's look at how it started. Zuckerberg stole the idea and then mm -hmm. he created a website to rate women based on looks and then like started profiting beyond that, right? Like, come on, man. Nothing about that man says upstanding I'm going to protect your privacy. I'm worried about you as a person. So is it shocking? No, but I hope maybe this brings a little bit of a reckoning and changes privacy policies. And I'm saying that as somebody who is in marketing and I've made my living based on advertising on places like Facebook. So it's going to affect my, it already has affected my business and my job and what I do for a livelihood, but yeah, it turns out privacy is pretty important. Just privacy and then like users opinions and what they want at, at some point it has to kind of matter because uh, we saw it in MySpace. everybody like abandoned MySpace because at the time facebook was the better experience right so at, at the end of the day they do maybe need to and it goes along with the privacy issues start paying a little bit of attention to what their uh their users want or else they're going to lose them to some other platform and I haven't Facebooked regularly in a couple of years. I thought it was yeah. funny until I realized, oh shit, they're all coming to Twitter. So there was kind of like a, like a, oh no. Oh, okay, see, so, um, see, that's what I love about Twitter. It, it, to me, Facebook is the platform where it's a bunch of people that you know, but you don't care yeah, what it's you're not talking the same. about. But Twitter is the opposite. It's a bunch of people you don't know 
you don't connect because you know somebody, you connect because of topics because you want to talk interested. about. Yeah, it's a lot more open and bigger in that regard, for sure. Rocky, were you just heartbroken that Instagram and now, Facebook were down? I don't really use Instagram. I think I have an account. I haven't logged in forever, but I used Facebook. It's more like my photo albums. I've collected all my photo albums and stuff. Right. But the one that I really needed yesterday was WhatsApp. And I don't know for people who do a lot of international travel or connect with people internationally, WhatsApp is a life stable. Like it is how our friends in Mexico and South Africa and everyone, that's how they connect. A lot of people can't afford a service plan, 50, 60 bucks a month. That's insane. Um, so they use WhatsApp and as long as they can get Wi-Fi somewhere, they can connect. So especially in our town in Puerto Morelos, all the workers, all the taxis, all the restaurants, everybody's on WhatsApp. That's how you order food. That's how you call a cab. That's how you get uh, reservations to dinner. It's everything. And it's how you get your nails done, your laundry done. Everything's WhatsApp. So with WhatsApp down around the world, that costs not just Zuckerberg 7 billion, it costs people all over the world tons of money and a day of business, which is huge. And so, and my friend in South Africa was a birthday and I couldn't call her on WhatsApp. So, <laughs> but I messaged her well, later for that. I'm back up. <laughs> Bummer for that. All right, moving on. Next question. 2023, five-star, QB, Arch Manning. He is everywhere, right? Everybody wants to come play with him wherever he goes. The best O-linemen and receivers are coming to. He just said in an interview that he calls Texas home. He mentioned that he loves the laid-back good people. He likes the coaches. He even mentioned that Texas hadn't punted in two games, and he loves the offense. Where would you put on a scale of one to 10, how strong do you feel that Arch Manning comes to Texas? I would put a solid eight or nine, honestly, because um, yeah, I think just initially when, when he started showing interest in Texas, it kind of raised a lot of eyebrows. Like what? Uh, I don't think people saw that one coming per se, but it's become pretty evident during his recruitment that he personally, for whatever reason, is really, really high on Texas. I think deep down, that's probably where he, like his heart is leading. Of course, you know, he, I mean, he's, he's a high school kid, so he's going to listen to like all the outside noise. Maybe not so much. I think his family does a good job of protecting him from that. I think his family you know, has a pretty you know what I mean. But like, so he's still going to talk to his, his, he's still going to talk to like his family members and, you know, there's still, you can't mute it completely. He's got, uh, this is a huge decision for the kid, but I, I, don't see how it just kind of how he keeps kind of going back to the horns, keeps mentioning the horns, like how we don't have like a pretty good lead on him. So, yeah, I'd have to agree with that. I, I think I think the crystal ball is definitely leaning the right way. You, if I'm being realistic, my, my, my heart wants to say 11. He's coming to Texas. No yeah. question. Which if he does, we probably lose Hudson card, too. Let's be clear about that, but, um, it happened. but yeah, I, I, I think realistically he's probably at a solid seven right now. I think he's leaning Texas. I think, you know, Hannah, you brought up the family. Look, the kid's enjoying the re recruitment as he should, he should enjoy everything that he's doing. He should have a good time, soak it all up, be pampered. But when it really boils down to it, his family's smart and his family is business savvy. And ultimately, especially with NIL, this is a business decision. If I'm Texas, I'm building that package to show how much money Arch Manning can bring in as the head quarterback of the University of Texas, especially now that the bag men are out in the open, right? I'm putting together deals before he even comes here to show them, hey, we've got these lined up. Spencer Rattler got some cars. Screw that, man. You get a whole dealership, right? You want a house? You got it. You got this. You're, you're, you know, look, is his family hurting? No. 
But again, if I'm Texas with a name brand like Texas, I'm making this a business pitch. Not only are you living in the best city in the country, not only do you have the greatest fans, not only do you have these incredible facilities, oh, BTW, we're going to make you rich before you even get to the NFL, right? I, I love that. Why wouldn't you pitch that? So yeah, right now, realistically, I think he's probably seven, maybe eight. Um, I think Texas would be very smart to pitch the business deal. And listen, I would be all here for an Eli and Peyton commentary on ESPN for any Texas game, anytime, bring it up. So I'd love to see Arch playing and have the Eli brother, you know, Eli and, and Peyton. Yeah. I love that, man. I think it'd be gold for Texas. I think it'd be incredible. Rocky, how about you? Where, where, where are you feeling? I would say about a six right now because there's, I would bump it to seven because Texas is going to the SEC. And I think that really, really matters to the Manning family. Um, so I think that helps. I've, he raves about Sarkeesian, everything about him, his style, his offense, his, you know, his likability, his honesty. He raves about Sark as a human. And I think that helps a lot too. So maybe six and a half ish, I would say where I put my, my <laughs> trust in whether or not he comes to Texas. I hope he does. Yeah. All right, moving on. Lots of top 25 teams lost this weekend. Oregon, Arkansas, Notre Dame, AM, Fresno State. And nobody, nobody saw it because the game didn't start until 10 p.m., but Fresno State lost at Hawaii. <laughs> Baylor, why were they even ranked? I don't know. Wake Forest lost to Louisville. That was a really good game. So now it's BYU, Iowa, Penn State up there with Alabama and Georgia. Is there anyone in that realm with Alabama and Georgia right now? No. No. It, is there ever anybody in Alabama's realm? Until Nick Saban croaks and dies and then comes back as a zombie and then dies again, look, Bama's going to be a world beater and people can't touch him. I, I just don't, I don't see anybody in that league right, right now. Now, no. Right um, now, no. I mean, I think Georgia is right up there with them, but still a step below. Georgia has a fantastic defense. We know that. I don't think their offense, I think their offense is very good, but I don't think they're great. They're inconsistent. Yeah, right. agree, agree. So, yeah. eh. but then it's like Bama, Georgia, in my opinion, and then just spaghetti bowl <laughs> of everybody else. Like, especially this year, so much. And honestly, I love it, y'all. I think it's so refreshing that we're having to be objective when looking at this because clearly, I, mean, I, I took a screenshot the other day. I've been meaning to to tweet about it. The the, uh, the the recent the most recent rankings that came out on Sunday, and then the preseason rankings, and how wildly different mm-hmm. they are, because it just shows you a nobody really knows how teams are in the preseason. Why do we even have these dumb polls? And then b like. The, the parody that's usually there is, is missing this year. And, oh, look, everybody has a shot, especially like, say, whoever wins this weekend versus Texas and OU, the season is suddenly blown wide open for them, you know, right. like, right. whoa. Right. And that's exciting as a Texas fan knowing. I love seeing teams like Fresno State in the top 25. I think that's fun to watch. It makes football a good time. Now, typically, just like we saw them playing Hawaii and dropping out. Uh, You get a lot of shuffling around, but I have to agree. Preseason polls are bullshit in the first place, but then you also have to consider that 2020 was such an absolute shit show of a season. You can't base anything on it. So I think for the first time in a very long time, this 2021 season is a complete unknown for literally everybody. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Nobody knows who's the, who these teams are. There's been a ton of turnover, a lot of changes, but I think it makes for exciting football. I think it makes it really fun. I, I love seeing that. So Hannah, I'm, I'm in your camp. I think it makes for better football. I think it's better for college 
football when you've got some of these small yeah, schools Cincinnati. Up, it's not just the same eye roll teams in the top four every time, which again, we're probably going to end up with, well, Clemson's out. So yay for that. But, but yeah, I mean, Bama is one of the best, is, it is the best football program of anything that, that we've seen in a long time. N- no question. They, they are a dynasty. They will go down as one of the best, if not the best football pro- programs in all of college football history, but it's boring as shit. I don't always want to watch Bama you know, whoop everybody. That's not fun. Well, then I again, I mean, they've shown a human side. If you don't remember, like a couple of weeks ago, they came really close against Florida and Florida is, by the way, not that good. They lost, lost this weekend. Kentucky. <laughs> yeah. Them is not invincible. Until they're, they're hard to beat. They are very hard to beat. Yeah. So they are who they are. So they're invincible. Right. No, yeah. Right. They, they it, get, it, they get their best shots. Yeah. yeah. And I agree. I mean, they, they do look more mortal than they've looked in a long time, but they're still, we just finished talking about it. They're still head they still and shoulders and torso and probably to the kneecaps above everybody else. Right. Like there's still nobody that is touching Bama. So until Bama stops being Bama, Rocky, just like you said, they're they're They are who they are until they're not right. Mm-hmm. And, and we just haven't gotten close to them, not being them. All right. Last question. Lottery last night was 700 million Powerball jackpot. One person in California won. We went and bought tickets. We didn't hit any number at all. So after, if you do the cash option and they take the 24% tax, you're left with $266 million in the bank. What's the first thing you'd go buy if you had $266 million deposit? A ranch, a big ass ranch. I'd buy like half of Austin and be like, F you. (laughs) Not half, obviously, but yeah, I'd buy a big ranch. And then stupid sports cars. No question. The new Z06 that's not out yet with that kind of money, I feel like I could buy it. So yeah, give me a burn orange. At least 2 million on a car. Yeah, uh, clearly, clearly. Yeah. Absolutely. Look, that gives me a cool 66 mil elsewhere. Clyde would great. get the best facelift of his <laughs> ever loving right. life. Um, what would you buy? Oh God. Um, I would buy myself lots and lots of travel that's what I would buy. Maybe, Maybe an airplane. Maybe an airplane. But yeah, right, there you go. Yeah. Buy an airplane. Buy an airplane. I would, I would buy myself an airplane <laughs> in which to travel in. There you go. But uh, like but it. yeah, no, I would I would I I think off the cuff like I would travel. That's what I would do, and then then maybe yeah, that's what I would. First do. destination. Where are you going? Oh God, the Maldives. All right. All right, Rocky. I would buy a plane because I'll be gone. I'd be gone. <laughs> We'd never see you. Never We'd be doing this podcast from again. up in the air. <laughs> I love it. Yes. I Actually, like it. I would buy a suite at the at DKR, which would take half the 266 million right there. For <laughs> real. <laughs> right. Or how much would it cost to be the Rocky DKR Memorial Stadium? (laughs) I like it. I like it. All right. Good job, everybody. We got it covered. And don't forget, y'all, we have another episode coming up very soon, a very special episode where we cover all things Texas OU Weekend with our guys, Kyle Umlang and Blinken Riley. So definitely tune in for that. That episode is dropping soon. We're going to be throwing all the drama out there. It's going to be a lot of fun. So for now... We appreciate you listening. I'm Megan. I'm Rocky. And I'm Hannah. And we are Fire the Cannon.